Welcome to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. The aim of this podcast is to inspire, equip, and challenge you, our listener, to be an active and effective evangelist. I'm your host, Gerhard, a missionary here at the CCO. And today's episode, Andre and Angel and I have a conversation around the context in which CCO does evangelization with university students. Before we get started, if you have any questions about evangelization, please email us at podcast at cco.ca and we'll answer them in a future episode. Before we get started, if you have any questions about evangelization, please email us at podcast at cco.ca and we'll answer them in a future episode. All right, let's dive in. All right, Andre and Angel, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Garrett. Yeah, great to be here. And so this week we're going to continue on talking about the uh, the five tenets uh, of CCO. And as we mentioned uh, previously, these are tenants for evangelization uh, for the whole church. They're not specifically tenants for CCO per se. However, the tenant we're going to be talking about today could be considered a CCO-specific tenant, mm-hmm. as this tenant is our context. This is the context in which we do evangelization, which is uh, with university students. And uh, I'd like to kick the conversation off by reading a, a quote from John Paul II in Christa Fidelis Leici. Youth must not simply be considered as an object of pastoral concern for the church. In fact, young people are and ought to be encouraged to be active on behalf of the church as leading characters in evangelization and participants in the renewal of society. Youth is a time of especially intensive discovery of a self and a choice of life. It is a time for growth which ought to progress in wisdom, age, and grace before God and people. Wow. That's uh, that quote. I mean, it is just dense with truth or, or the lived reality of young people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember bumping into uh, that quote in the early days of CCO because I think that document came out in 1988, the, yeah. the same year that Catholic Christian Outreach. It was the year of the laity. There was yeah. a synod on the laity. Exactly. And I remember reading it and saying, yes, I fully agree that young people aren't just to be uh, a concern for the church, but they're they're leaders for the renewal of the world. They're going to be protagonists um, in helping the gospel go further and further um, into the hearts of more and more people. But back in 1988, the reality was that the church didn't know... the. In North America, the church didn't know what to do with with young adults. You know, th- there's a lot of youth ministry happening. Life Team, which is, I mean, it was explosive, and it bore much fruit. But when it came to university students and young adults, and the church just didn't know how to how to work with them, or you know what they could offer. Angela, you and I were talking a little bit about it today, and you came up with such a great insight. Um, what was that insight I had? Yeah. It was something about, you know, like softballs or something. Uh, no, um, but it was something like we were just talking. How, we should have wrote that down. Huh? What was that thing we said? We were just talking about how, um, you know, there there wasn't much resources to put towards youth, to, towards campus ministry. And so those that were in it, I, I said, we're probably a little older in age. And maybe a little scared even of turning people off at the university, really wanting hard to be maybe a little relevant. And so in that that aim to be, you know, 
relevant. There was like a, I said like they were soft and maybe very accommodating. Yeah. And um, they were trying really hard to be a soft place, trying hard to be soft. Yeah, um, yeah you didn't want to turn them off because yeah, you they, felt like somehow these young people were so fragile that if we talk to them or challenge them to anything that they just walk away because right. they're insulted like mm-hmm. just make me feel good but that that quote is the opposite that the church if 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 there's ever a group of people that want the church to speak life into them and challenge them uh to greatness is young people yeah mm-hmm. they're you looking know? for it they want yeah. they and especially at universities, you know, it's the young people there that are wondering, what will I be in life? Like, they want to do something great. If they're going to university in particular, they're, like, thinking world changers. Like, they're actually, well, they're probably thinking money changers, too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> want to make some dough. But, you know, they generally university students, young people are thinking, how can I make the world a better place? They want to know that they can do something great. They want to belong. They want to do something significant. And they want to explore, they want to adventure, all these very high ideals. And they want to think. And they're also thinking, who am I? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to marry? What kind of, um, they just, they've got all the things, like all of the dreams of what they could be are 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 being marinated formulated, in, marinated formulated, at yeah. school. Yeah, they're being marinated at university. And they're just wide, wide-eyed and attracted to all kinds of things everything is like a possible adventure and that wide-eyedness can lead to a lot of um trouble too mm-hmm. right yeah. at the universities so um there's some very good ideals and idealistic things that are that are brewing but also um worldliness is, is there too and unfortunately the universities are um, attacking faith they're yeah. they're diminishing the the integrity of, of the christian faith so um, well, and I don't, I think you even take it further, like universities are just, they're diminishing almost any serious structured form of morality, period. Mm-hmm. Like there's Christianity. Yeah. A hundred percent. But you could, we could pull someone aside from a Jewish background or a, a devout Muslim background. They'll probably say the same thing about the secular campus today. Like yeah. secular campuses today are not, not healthy if you're trying to f- just live a moral life, period. Well, uh, to me, um, yeah, I think there is, um, uh, if you go to university, it, we all know that on the university campus, there's an indoctrination happening and they're listening to it. They're being influenced by the thinking, the enlightenment, the the secularism, the, you know, the anti-religion. Um, uh, Relativism. yeah. Those are the messaging messagings that are happening out there, and the young people are buying into it, not wholeheartedly, but it's the only message they're really hearing. Mm-hmm. Like their imagination is being caught by atheism, a rejection of religion. You're right; they feel like shackles have been taken off them, and, and they're free now. You know, just you know, um, the sexual revolution of the hippies. You know, it's like a it's a freedom. Uh, the idea that, you know, like, make love, not war. I mean, this just captures the heart and imagination of young people. Environmentalism, let's let's save the planet. Well, of course, they're going to buy into that. They haven't given thought to the ramifications, to the way they're going about it. But it makes sense to them because they're idealistic. The church has done 
very little in the last 60 to 70 years to capture the imagination of young people. But it's changing. The tide is changing. You know, I had the opportunity to go to World Youth Day in the year 2000 in Rome. And uh, John Paul II, the great, St. John Paul II, the great, um, the, the, at, at the morning of the vigil, after, you know, everyone spent the night, you know, partying and making loud noises, not going to sleep, he had a mass the next morning. And in his homily, I mean, he said a lot of great things, but at one particular time, he, because, you know, the year 2000, we're looking into the new millennium, he said to the young people, only he could have done this, is he challenged the 2.2 million young people. He said, you be the saints of the new millennium, meaning he, the bar was set so high that it was impossible on our own to achieve it, but it captured the attention, the heart and imagination of all 2.2 million people there. The roar was deafening. I mean, the very ground beneath us shook because he called us all to greatness and we wanted um, to enter in or, or join uh, the revolution, if you will. And so I, I think young people just want, and they're ready to be um, captured, their imagination and, and their call to greatness uh, be clearly uh, spoken by the church. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, we're silent in many ways. So mm-hmm. they just went and listened to another prophet. Yeah. So for CCO, um, you both started the movement in 88. What what was your decision for both of you to choose university campuses? Because as you said, at the at the time, there was a lot of like life teen, there was a lot of stuff for youth as in like high school and younger, but university was that age that was left out. What was it that drew you both to doing campus ministry? For me, it was because my faith came alive as a university student when I had peers that were also seriously um, looking at their lives and looking at the the great needs of the world for for all the needs that are out there, plus the need to know Christ. Um, I found such camaraderie and such uh, dedication and such idealism that I was really captured by all of that. And I wanted to do great things for God along with my friends. So it was a really rich formative time for me and I, I loved it. I loved all the things that I did uh, while studying, doing faith studies and doing evangelization and doing mission projects and doing retreats and conferences and share groups with, with friends. Like all of those things were so life-giving for me. Um, I wanted to give back to others. I wanted other people to have the same rich experience that I had had at university I think many CCO people feel the same way. Actually, it's like, I want to give this back to someone else. I want to lead a study. I want to do things. Um, I also really understood the the strategic importance of university students, of who they're going to be when they grow up and they leave. The future mothers, the fathers, the policymakers, the the lawyers, the, the doctors, the influencers, the leaders in parishes, the, the future priests and bishops, that these people in... 30 years are going to be the ones that can lead society and and be those those voices and leaders and if they are lost in the sieve of university and their faith falls through then what happens to society what happens to the kingdom of god when those people are lost so knowing that at that time in particular this is such a strategic age and there was so 
little exactly. to call them on to greatness, to call them on to heroic um, holiness and heroic missionary hearts. Um, all that we were really offering was um, a welcome, you know, that's about it. And so we, it's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Like it was so valuable to me. It set my heart on fire and I, I see how great university students are. Like I just want to keep lighting the flame. If you were to ask me that question in 1987, my last, my last semester, you know, why university students, I wouldn't have had an answer for it. You know, you know, I just, I had a missionary heart, but I, I didn't, I didn't think strategically, oh man, the best place to, to put my energies or to really move the church's mission forward as university students. But it was when I went to the Life in the Spirit seminar, um, which is a five, it's hosted by the Charismatic Renewal. And, and in the fifth week, they pray over you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and you get gifts and stuff. That really powerful time and a transformative time for millions of people throughout the world. You get spiritual gifts, like not presence. Yeah, well, you know. Just checking. Yeah, you're right. It was spiritual yeah. gifts. And so the night they prayed over me, there's just a lot of things that happened that night. I was expecting, you know, a real intense experience of, of the Holy Spirit and, you know, moved, you know, and, and given gifts and manifestation of gifts. I, I was really anticipating a lot happening that night. But when they came and prayed for me, it was silence. It was, you know, there was no kind of manifestation, if you will. But what there was, was um, the guy praying over me, he had... These simple words that he spoke to me felt they were the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He said, you will be an evangelist of the youth. So why um, I believe or I'm committed or giving my life to a movement dedicated to evangelization on the university campuses is because the Holy Spirit himself um, placed that conviction in my heart. So it's a calling. It's not necessarily just a really good strategic place to do the work of evangelization. But um, <clears throat> frankly, when I left that experience, I was disappointed because what does that mean? I'm an evangelist of youth. I'm a Catholic. In 1987, that meant absolutely nothing. It's like saying you'll be an alien for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. What? You know, yeah. you'll, you'll still you'll you'll sell snow up north where yeah, exactly. it's winter all the time. Yeah, what, yeah. whatever that means. But um, Two months later, I went uh, on a mission in December up to Carmax, way up north, northern Canada. Yukon. In the Yukon. And um, uh, it was with um, a movement, um, now they're called, um, they were at the time called Campus Crusade for Christ, but now they're Power to Change. Power to change. Um, but I had an opportunity to, to spend a lot of time with one of the staff members who began to share with me the Great Commission and how there were young people, uh, uh, Christian young people, who were committed to the Great Commission and were radically doing the work of evangelization in countries throughout the world. And they were laying down their lives for the cause of Christ, for, for evangelization. And I was so captured by his vision. He, he talked about particular countries and what they were doing in those countries. And I was being fascinated by this, um, this great adventure that so many young people were entering into. But at the same time, I was feeling despair because I knew nothing about this in a Catholic context. There was... There, I never heard of an opportunity for a young person, lay young per person, to do something great for God in different countries 
preaching the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission. I was so disheartened. But at the same time, I was given a vision of possibility. And that vision of possibility that university students can change the world um, built on that experience I had at the Life in the Spirit seminar that you've been evangelist of youth, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, stirring up in me and then the imagination of what could happen was the motivation. It was a motivation. I saw the possibility and I was moved um, by the Holy Spirit to do the work that moved this possibility forward. So that's our conviction. Then as we entered into it in 1988 when we started, you know, we began to understand the significance of university students. Mm-hmm. By the time, you know, Angèle was probably a little bit more aware of the, how strategic young people were to the Great Commission, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For me, it was just purely sentiment in a way and inspiration. Yeah, because that freedom university students have, besides the idealism, is the, the, the actual freedom to go. It's lack of responsibility yes. or lo- many responsibilities at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they can, they can start exploring and, and, and go on mission or discern a vocation or uh, start to have a, in their mind a career to go be a teacher in China and be a missionary. Like all those things are, are possible for them, which are not so possible when you have five kids and you have, have to a have a job and you've got a mortgage. You know, like those that kind of freedom is is just much harder to, to walk into. But university students are, are are ready to run. Show me what you need me to do and 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 they'll do it. Once they're captured by Christ, right? Like we don't just want a bunch of idealistic um crazy young people running out there in the name of Jesus without knowing him and without formation but it's just they have they have all of those things going for them and and then you look historically at what university students have done the revolutions that have been begun um Tiananmen Square right that was the university students in China the that that movement. stood up to the to the tanks and just said like enough's enough mm-hmm. and it's it's all over the place. Yeah, well, even within the the life of the church itself, like Saint Ignatius of Loyola, he was middle aged, like he was in his forties. But um, Saint Peter Faber, Saint Francis Xavier, like great fans, great fans and friends of the movement, they're university students. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they, if I'm sure, if they both were you know settled and living middle age and have the the weights and responsibilities, it'd be a lot. Might not necessarily have happened that they'd up stakes mm-hmm. and be like, yeah, I'm off to. Uh, the far corners of the world to baptize tens of thousands. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, the communist movement um, was built on the backs and the imagination and the work and, and the struggle and the sacrifice of university students. They're the ones that went to the streets. They're the ones that protested. They're the ones that moved the idea forward. Um, the hippie movement, I mean, we're experiencing the, the negative fruit of, you know, the, the sexual revolution, but it was young people, university students that that carried that flag, you know, they're the ones that, you know, really gave themselves fully to the ideals of the hippie movement, of mm-hmm. the sexual revolution. And, you know, they, they changed the world because they, they were called to change. Their leaders were calling them to bring about change. You know, I, and I'm being a little bit um, harsh here, or maybe a little, um, you know, negative by saying this, but, um, but my experience, what I've seen over the last, although it's changing, the last 10 years is changing, but in the first 10, 15 years, what, what, what I perceived as how the church, you know, the local church was challenging young people uh, to engage back in the churches, especially on university campuses, they would have 
a poster, a white poster, and they would put it on the wall, but it's all covered around all the other clubs that are offering, you know, opportunities, you know, uh, these dances and, you know, go on, go um, non-inclusive over the spring break or, you know, study abroad, whatever. And we've got this poster and it says, you know, mass at 430. Be there. (laughs) That was our challenge. Well, I know that for me as a university student, I wasn't walking around looking for a little poster that says Mass at 4.30. Uh, so we challenged them just to show up. And th- that challenge is way too low. And so we're not, we're not even, it's not even worthy of my time. But if we invited them, the Great Commission does do that. We I- invite them to change the world, um, to transform a culture, civilization to change lives to change your life the revolution of love you know these are ideas these ideals that these young people are fascinated by and we found very quickly that young people are willing to respond to the challenge that we place before them however high and you know it's almost like beyond their capacity they're willing to kind of run after that um, after that goal. So, yeah, I, I think often the church is under challenge, although that is changing today um, in, in a very, very encouraging way. We're seeing movements throughout North America and around the world that are now, you know, realizing that the potential of university and young adults um, to really move the mission forward. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> what... What would you say to those, to our listeners who are working in parishes or dioceses or in campus ministry in other parts of the world, because we have listeners from across the globe, um, who are hearing us right now and they're saying, okay, I fully understand, like, university students, they're they're on fire, like, they're open to adventure, they want to be challenged, they're chasing the big things, but how do I get them to be on fire for Christ? Like, how... How do we make that switch so that they're not going off and starting another communist revolution in another country? But how are we doing it so that they're setting they're starting a revolution of the faith in the the country that they're in? Uh, you know, Garrett, that's a great question. And what I would suggest is listen to our other podcasts because that those are the you know we're we're wanting in this these podcasts to to learn how to challenge and to engage and and to be part of uh, the mission within the church of evangelization. So, you know, right now I I would suggest listen to our Mm -hmm. earlier podcasts uh, on, you know, clear and simple or, um, you know, we talked a lot about evangelization. So, yeah, those are the ways I would challenge them, you know, basically inviting them to become missionary. But to me, the uh, what is really important. By the way, just a, a caveat. You know, when our tenant is, you know, university students, but our listener might not be on a university campus. It might be in a parish or whatever, the, wherever they might be. Their tenant is wherever they are. So, for a growing amount of our alumni, their new tenant of, uh, you know, of their context or to do it in is in their parish. So the same radical 
focused missionary zeal that they had at university on university campuses is what they're supposed to bring to their to their parish. So everything that we're talking about right now can actually be lived out in a parish context, not only with young people. I am um, almost 60 years old. I, I know, I know. I'm 58, so. Um, but I like to think that I have as much zeal now for the Great Commission as I did when I was a young person. And I'm seeing a lot of people my age who are being captured again. And your context is the parish. So everything we're talking about right now in regards to, you know, this this tenant of of university students is something that you will be able to implement or at least understand more in the context in the parish. Yeah, I think the thing you could apply to your context is to do what we're doing is to actually evaluate your context. What are the like do a SWOT analysis? What are the strengths strengths, what weaknesses, opportunities and threats of the environment that I'm called to? And so we're kind of unpacking like university students as like our mission ground. And we're saying like, wow, like this is the, these are the threats to it. These are the opportunities. These are the strengths. And here's some weaknesses. And how do we navigate ourselves with the, let's say the other four tenants to maximize um, the potential for this context? And we're pretty convicted about our context, but how is, you know, the parish a context? How is family a context? How is your Catholic school a context? What are those, what's that SWOT analysis that you can take? Um, but getting back to like university students, we have this um, really awesome quote from Dr. Charles Malik, who does has a book on the Christian critique of the university. And he says that the university is a clear cut fulcrum with which to move the world. There's more I want to read, but that in itself is just, uh, you know, really at the heart of what we've been saying here, the strategic value of the university. So I'm going to start again and read the fuller Quote, the university is a clear-cut fulcrum with which to move the world. The problem here is for the church to realize that no greater service can it render both itself and the cause of the gospel with which it is entrusted than to try to recapture the universities for Christ on whom they were all originally founded. More potently than by any other means, change the university and you change the world. And... Dr. Charles Malik is saying <laughs> the quote above it. He says like the church needs to continue to proclaim in season and out of season, the gospel of sin, repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ. It's uh, it's incredible. Um, but he's also saying a bit more than just what maybe at the surface, like we might think, yeah, like let's, let's convert all of those individual university students. And of course, yes, let's do it. But Dr. Malik is saying like, we need to actually, um, recover universities and their Christian identity. They were they were invented by the church. They were meant to be a place of higher learning, and they were meant to be a place that you would learn within um, the full integration of what the, the a, a Christian anthropology. Yeah, and truth. so that's been like stripped. Like it, universities are now secular, and he's saying like this is if the church were to focus its energies in the most strategic spot, it would be not just convert university students, which is what we're saying but convert the universities back to being a Christian institution where, you know, so much truth, the fullness of truth could be taught and where the great influence would then be had on society because us sending out one doctor or one lawyer 
does one thing. But if we can change the way that uh, philosophy is taught, you know, we can we can change the fabric of society. Well, yeah, I I agree with you. Unfortunately, we have very little access to, you know, the administration and the professors and, you know, the student-run um, uh, groups there. And they're the ones that are really, really influencing the way the university thinks. And so we're, we're so far down the, the line that, you know, it's, it's almost unsavable, um, although um, it is savable. All things are possible. So reaching them is almost, you know, it's just, it's a task. I don't think we even have the manpower to do it. I think the most strategic thing to do is go get and spend time with those university students that are eventually over time going to be the professors, the administrators. Um, they're the ones that are going to be the doctors, the lawyers, you know, that are going to have influence. They're the ones that are going to raise Christian families that are going to be the next students of the universities and they're going to demand a different philosophy. So I, I you know, I can't, we've seen it here uh, over the last 30 years, although it's slower than I would have liked. I mean, I would love 30 years uh, now we've been doing CCO. I wish, you know, we would have had a million. My prayer back then is that we'd have a million, two million young people fully engaged in the mission of the church, but it hasn't, you know, turned out that way. But we do have thousands upon thousands that are now beginning to get into places, you know, their principals, their teachers, their doctors, their lawyers. Uh, we now just have um, just um, just recently one of our students who is going through the College of uh, Medicine, um, and she's starting a small group an evangelical group for Catholics at uh, who are studying to become doctors. I mean, that's, you know, uh, boy, we need a lot of, imp the gospel needs to be influenced in that, um, in that college, you know, our future doctors need to understand, you know, the, 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 uh, the Christian anthropology, but she's doing that. And other people are doing similar things as they graduate and they go out into the world um, so it, it's going to take time, but I see in the near future, and we're always already seeing it now, that there's an influence at a higher level. Um, but it's really important that we intensify our efforts with these young people so that in 20, 30, 40 years from now, this conversation will be a different conversation. Mm -hmm. So I encourage all students happening to listen to this, like, you have your bachelor's, get your master's. You got your master's, get a doctorate. Just Keep getting smarter and get more letters behind your name so that you can be those those influencers for society. You can be um, administration and professors at universities. We actually need you. We need you there. You know, there's this, I mean, you know, I, I was thinking of, you know, just something that, again, John Paul II the Great said when he was in Canada in 2002. And he was talking to you know, the 80,000 young people, the night of the vigil. And, I mean, he, it, everything he says, it was always thought-provoking and then inviting us to, to respond to it. But he was talking about how, and there's a lot of scandals, uh, scandals happening at that particular time. And he was talking about how, you know, we built a society without God. 
and it's bearing the fruit of that. It's a disaster. But he said, he goes, we need, the, the church needs to build the city of God within the city of man. Meaning, let's don't build our little villages away from the city of man, meaning secular, the secular world, the university. Um, don't run from it and keep ourselves a distant, protecting ourselves, but actually build the city of God um, within the city of man, brick by brick, mean one person at a time, which is going to be our next um, mm-hmm. um, podcast. But then he goes on to say, he said, I can sign this challenge to you young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a challenge. You guys be the new builders. That is a call to um, restore civilization. And uh, so, and I believe, and I'm witnessing it, that young people, not only young people, me, Gerd, Angel, you know, all the mothers and fathers out there, you know, the priests and the bishops, I think um, we're, the time is now for us to rebuild the civilization of man by building the city of God within it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a a beautiful challenge and is doable because God promised um, that the kingdom of God will be established upon the earth. Thanks for joining us today for our conversation on university students and why CCU does evangelization to university students. This is part of our little mini series on the five tenets of CCO and stay tuned for next week as we have a conversation on one person at a time. If you have any questions, comments, queries, quandaries, conundrums, or otherwise, please email us at podcast at cco.ca. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share us with your friends. Once again, I'm your host, Gerhard, and you're listening to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. Until next time, God bless.